Welcome to the Business Owner Transition with Mike Quinlan, where we bring you content to help you transition your business on your terms. Hi, it's Mike Quinlan, and welcome to Episode 6 of the Business Owner Transition. On today's show, my colleague Nathan Corbett will be talking with John Coffin of Practical Growth Advisors about sources of capital for businesses. They will discuss the pros and cons of several common ways of acquiring growth capital. This is one of the many topics covered in the Business Owner Transition Academy, where we help our students become familiar with the strategies, tactics, and processes to increase the value of the transition, increase the probability it will occur, and most importantly, put them in the rare air of the 25%. You see, an astonishing 75% of business owners report being profoundly unhappy after transitioning their businesses. Generally, it occurs because the owner is not prepared to transition and has not completed the required physical and emotional planning associated with the exit. John's work helps us not only grow the company, but also provide comfort in the financial preparation of the company. Visit us at theowneracademy.com and find out about the upcoming cohorts, our valuation assessment, and our consulting services. Nathan Corbett is a senior instructor with the Business Owner Transition Academy and a CPA, CFA, CFP, and CEXP exit planning professional. Nathan has worked on many exits over the years and is an expert in capital structure, tax, and charitable strategies. You can reach Nathan at nathan.corbett at theowneracademy.com. John Coffin is the president of Practical Growth Advisors in Atlanta, Georgia. You can reach John at jcoffin at practicalgrowthadvisors.com. And John and I have worked together for a couple of years now. John's firm develops operational and financial forecasts and process automation tools to help business owners and managers make big decisions quickly with confidence. The forecast platform provides a quantitative roadmap to clearly communicate and chart out a course to achieve a company's three to five year vision. And their process automation tools enable people to focus on value added rather than repetitive activities and enable companies to grow rapidly by creating scalable systems. When that new capital comes, these tools help to efficiently deploy the funds. The level of detail in the models they create is astonishing and has proven critical in the financial due diligence process of a transaction helping the business defend the valuation contained in the LOI. John is a career banking professional. He specializes in debt and equity capital advisory, M&A due diligence, and integration. So let's listen in to John and Nathan and see what they have to say. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the presentation on sources of capital. Uh, My name is Nathan Corbett, and I'm here with John Coffin. And by way of background, uh, this is an area of expertise that, um, at least in my experience, John surpasses everybody I've met. Um, He has worked uh, on the in the industry for 30 years. And most of that has been on the inside uh, in the banking world and uh, helped start a bank. And that bank did phenomenally well. A few years ago, he started pulling away from that, has gone into business specifically addressing our our topic today for for lots and lots of business owners to help them obtain obtain the capital they needed to grow their companies 
And, uh, and so that really leads uh, him to be one of the, the key experts in this area. So, John, thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks, Nathan. I'm really excited to be here at the Academy. <laughs> and, you know, John, as you think about growing companies, um, really what, what I, at least I have seen to be the, one of the key issues that a lot of business owners run into is it's not just about growth. It's really about quality. So as we think about that, what, what does that mean to you and what should business owners be thinking about? That's a great comment. You know, over the years, I've literally met with hundreds of business owners uh, of companies, you know, in the startup phase, all the way to much more mature and late stage companies. And all of them are interested in growing their business, because oftentimes when you're a private owner, growing your business means ultimately the value of your business is growing. And that's very exciting to them from a personal wealth perspective, as well as, you know, enhancing the benefits and of of your uh, employees and your customers and all. So it's uh, quality growth is really important. You know, at the end of the day, if you're talking about financial value, um, top line is important, but profitability, however you just you define that, whether it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization, EBITDA, you know, or some other kind of profitability measure is really a key driver. And so, um, you know, whether it's expanding your customer base or introducing new products and services or, uh, you know, growing your uh, employee base in order to serve your clients better. All of those things are important metrics to growth, but ultimately you want to keep your eye on, are my growth efforts actually making them more profitable? And so, you know, th- so when you talk about quality, that's kind of what I think about too is, are all those great things that we're doing as a company actually, you know, improving our profitability and hence our value uh, as well? Absolutely. We, we, we've done this long enough to see companies who have made some uh, what I would call not wise decisions and they've chosen to grow in ways that you know, aren't necessarily the best way for the company to grow. And as a result of that, they end up having more problems down the road. Whereas, you know, those that choose the right mechanisms for growth and are focused on the right things, you know, you end up with solutions to problems that you didn't even know you had. Um, and so one of the things that, that might be beneficial for, for all of us is to really understand, you know, as I talk to business owners and I know as you do, there's a lot of different mechanisms that uh, people use to define growth as they're thinking about their company. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what we're seeing with, with business owners, but also how are we defining growth? That way, at least we're clear on what it is we're trying to get. Yeah, it's a great, um, great, great question. You know, really, uh, at the very basis, are you selling more? You know, is your top line growing? Are you expanding your client base? Are you getting uh, deeper customer relationships? You know, are you hiring the right people? Are you motivating them in the right way? You know, that's one area of growth that, by the way, requires investment. Um, You know, also there's the whole uh, research and development or capital expenditures or uh, investing in the, the kind of core elements of the delivery of your product or service. And that um, oftentimes is the kind of, uh, jumping off point for, you know, really kind of getting some dynamic growth going. But again, there's a cap, typically a capital requirement to that. So, um, you know, really, you know, kind of the key ingredient to all of our growth here is 
the availability and access to cash to grow. And that's that, you know, cash is the grease of growth is something I like to say. You know, it's just something that you have got to have. And frankly, that the owner or CEO has to be really focused on at all times is, do I have enough access to the capital that I need in order to, uh, you know, continue to make the, have the growth, meet my growth aspirations? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, as I hear you saying that, what occurs to me is there's a lot of different ways, again, that that business owners are going to define growth. Some, and, and I know we've dealt with some in the past, that it's all about revenues. Everything is about revenues. Uh, others, it may be about people. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways, but really what we're trying to communicate today is it's really about profitability. How do we get to that bottom line cash flow? Because, you know, adding people, you know, might be a great solution, but it can also create a lot of problems. Adding revenue, you know, same thing, can create some problems. Um, but, at the se- but at the same time, if we're adding that to the bottom line, if we're adding to cash flow, that's the solution, right? right. That, that gives us, to, to, use your, to use your phrase, that gives us the grease we need to continue the growth of our company. Um, and so as we're thinking about all the different ways that we can you know, maximize our cash and, and fund growth uh, going forward in the future, what are some of the you know, kind of uh, fundamental ways that most business owners are looking to as they're thinking about ways to grow their company? Yeah, a um, couple of things I know that you uh, want to talk about today are um, along the spectrum of both uh, of, of what the opportunities are. And I like to break it into you know, three different buckets. There's, there's organic sources of capital. Um, I'm really thinking about customer or vendor financing that um, oftentimes are free. <laughs> and so that's a really attractive area that we want, want to dive into a little bit more. Um, there also uh, is obviously debt availability as well. And, uh, you know, today we might talk about bank debt, non-bank debt, uh, subordinated debt. Um, so different things that are of uh, interest to the listeners. And then um, at different times and in different times in, your, in a company's growth cycle, there may be a requirement for outside equity, outside of the business owner's capacity to invest in the company. And um, sometimes that takes into account a minority uh, investment, and sometimes that means a majority investment, particularly at the time of exit. And so maybe we could talk about those three. But those, to me, are the big three sources of capital or organic debt in some form and equity in some form. Perfect. So as I think about that, one of the the things I always encourage business owners to do is to be very intentional about their capital structure. All too often, and I'm I'm sure you've run into this, you know, we're we're talking with people who kind of fell into, well, these are the terms I have with my customers. These are the terms I have with my vendors. And so that very first thing you mentioned about organic growth, um, they just haven't been intentional about that. And so understanding what that cash conversion process looks like can, can really add value as it adds to their ability to capitalize their company and, and kind of afford that organic growth. Um, same thing really with, with even those outside sources of debt, um, as opposed to just assuming that there's only one thing available, you know, what are the other options? And so I guess that leads me uh, to the next question, which was, you know, what are some of the key decision filters as we're thinking about growing and as we're thinking about what our capitalization uh, options might be? 
What are some of those key decision filters that we should be thinking of and thinking through as business owners? Yeah, uh, you know, I, there, there are a lot, obviously, but um, three that come to mind are uh, what's the cost? Uh, it, how flexible is this capital? And does it affect uh, my ownership or my control of the business? And um, so cost, flexibility, and control are three areas that I always encourage people to think about. And um, it, there's also an ebb and flow to businesses that change a little bit as you go from startup to an early stage business to a mid-stage or more stable uh, situation uh, to a later later stage company. Um, we've both had the opportunity to work over the years with first, second, third, in some cases, fourth generation businesses. And so, um, you know, uh, there's sometimes a fourth generation business can be going through a early stage startup and have different elements of their growth plan. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's not so much how, how old your company is, but uh, some of the things that you're trying to take advantage of in, in, in your growth cycle. So, um, you know, th there are some sources of capital that are more appropriate for earlier stage companies. There are some that are uh, more appropriate for late stage. Absolutely. And I know one of the, the experiences that we have shared over the years is that as businesses start to mature, as they start to become profitable, as they start to grow, um, oftentimes the sources of capital that we used at the beginning, right? You know, maybe it was friends and family, you know, maybe we went down to the bank and, and got a loan, but oftentimes we've outgrown what those sources of capital can provide. Um, and so to me, that's what leads us into really what we're trying to communicate today, which is once we get to that point, and oftentimes that's the point where you and I start working with business owners. It's when they get to a point where they say, wait a minute, I'm trying to grow, but I don't know how anymore, right? All the stuff I've done in the past just doesn't work anymore. Um, and so as, as we're thinking about organic growth, um, let's discuss some of these options that you just mentioned. Let's, let's go into detail. How, how do we think about organic growth and what should we be doing with our vendors, our customers? What do you see that normally works for clients? Yeah, the, well, the, the reason I ask people, encourage people to really think about the organic, what, what we call the organic side of things is that um, because it's very flexible financing, oftentimes it's very low cost or free, and um, there aren't any control issues involved. There, you, you're not giving up ownership typically or anything like that. So, you know, a couple of areas. One is customer financing. Um, Oftentimes you see companies who are uh, serving a different industry uh, or their, their customers are growing very rapidly. Um, in order to fund the manufacturing or the material requirements or whatever to, uh, to get that order in place, um, oftentimes they can go to their customer and say, hey, we're willing to do all this for you, but how about giving us a prepayment? Or how, much, how about giving us uh, you know, some kind of... Uh, uh, helping us buy the materials, for instance, in order to uh, kind of shorten up the capital cash flow cycle. Uh, that's kind of an, a very kind of interesting and easy way to, uh, you know, get get customers involved in things. Or, um, you know, another uh, other companies are able to bill more frequently, you know, or or accelerate the the payment process with their with their customer base because it allows them to, you know, get the key element of things. So, um, 
you know, that's, that's one area that we found is very helpful. Also, um, vendor financing is, uh, can be very huge, particularly, um, you know, if you're a, if you have a handful of key vendors, you can really ask them and go to them up front and rather than not communicating with them, but go to them up front and say, Hey, these are our growth plans. These are our expectations. Uh, you know, we want to be, we want you to be one of our key vendors, you know, help us out here. And, um, you know, oftentimes that helps from a cash flow standpoint too. So, uh, creating more cash so that you have to borrow less or, you know, uh, is from both the customer and the vendor side is oftentimes the least expensive financing. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, you know, a lot of companies at least walk through the door in their growth, in their growth stage with bank financing. And that is oftentimes completely, um, uh, adequate throughout the whole life cycle, you know, from the very beginning to uh, the very end. And um, to the extent that you can find a great banking partner, um, you know, that's really a fantastic option first and foremost, because typically, uh, you know, bank debt is going to be your lowest cost capital. Um, it's um, sometimes has some restrictions to it. You have to live by certain performance uh, covenants, et cetera. But, um, you know, there's, there's a, a level of, that's, that's kind of a good traditional place to start. Um, the big issue is that uh, while there aren't, the bank doesn't control you directly, uh, i.e. with an ownership stake, typically it requires a personal guarantee and, you know, the securing their, their loan by the, uh, with a lien on the assets of the business. So, um, you know, there's some restrictions there for sure, but, you know, as we, as we both know, traditional bank financing can be great. Absolutely. However, sometimes it doesn't do the trick completely. Right. So, uh, right. And we, we've seen, you know, both the positives of that and we've seen some of the negatives of that as, as, you know, we've had clients that will lean too heavily on that. And then, you know, when they need to grow, they don't know how to take that next step. You know, right. it occurred to me as you were uh, talking about some of the organic methodologies that people use, whether it's uh, their their customers, their vendors, or kind of having those uh, key relationships. And really relationships to me is the key word. Um, you know, anybody that's been in business for a long time understands that business is relational. And if I know my customers, if I know my vendors really well, then it helps both of us to succeed. And so, you know, as it relates to this, we don't need to be afraid as business owners to have those conversations with our customers and our vendors because they want us to be successful. It's in their best interest for us to be successful. So having that partnership just further solidifies not only our growth and our success, but theirs. And so to me, that's a great place to start. Yeah. And, you know, just to your point, um, sometimes expressing to them, hey, I've got capacity in my manufacturing facility or, uh, yeah, I've got a part of my manufacturing facility that I don't, I've got 10,000 square feet that's completely unused. And you may have a key customer or a key vendor that says, I don't have any place to put all that aluminum or put all that finished product. You know, uh, it's that kind of conversation, that kind of, um, going from a transactional provider to a, a partnering type of relationship with some of your key clients or customers, it can be very critical. And, um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you talked about this a minute ago, but bank debt, um, you know, certainly one of the, the lower costs, 
options that are out there tends to have a little bit of, of, of less in terms of flexibility. But let's talk about that. You know, what are some of the things that, you know, if, if I'm going out and looking for that uh, working line of credit or if I'm trying to partner with my bank, what are some of the things that they're going to want to see? Um, what are some of the things that I can do uh, from a business owner standpoint to help, you know, grease that process and make that easier both for me but also for them? Right. You know, any kind of introductory relationship with a bank is going to require a um, a due diligence or investigatory process, and they're going to want to see financial statements or, in an earlier stage company, um, tax returns to 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 validate your profitability and your revenue. They're also going to be very focused on profitability, and so if you're unprofitable for some reason or you're really starting up. Um, bank financing may not be available to you. Um, one extension of bank financing that's been very powerful on the smaller side is the participation of the SBA. And um, there's there are SBA financing op- opportunities for emerging growth companies uh, that can be really helpful. The reason that that's useful to the bank is it extends their credit appetite because the SBA will guarantee anywhere from 75 to 90% of the loan. So it allows them to take on a little bit riskier asset. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting area too. SBA into more of the traditional bank debt. And, um, you know, they're, they're always going to, however, uh, look at your, your future plans, look at what that leads to from a profitability standpoint and typically put some performance metrics in the form of covenants that you have to keep keep to and that's that can sometimes be an issue when you're growing rapidly or going into a new endeavor um you know if i'm going to walk down to the bank how do i you know what do i need to have with me as i'm about to have that conversation what do i need to have with me so that i know that I'm going to be, first of all, they're going to listen to me, um, but I'm going to go kind of to the front of the line because I'm just that well prepared. What is it that I need to be ready to show and ready to demonstrate? Yeah, um, so this is the, this is what you'll oftentimes run into is uh, particularly if you're uh, talking to lots of different banks, you'll, you'll talk to a banker and he'll uh, fall in love with your business and then uh, you'll, he'll say, I'll get back to you and let's uh, let's kind of go through the credit process. And so, um, you know, this is uh, something that can be an eye-opening experience for folks. But um, generally, you want to have up-to-date financial statements, uh, so income statement, balance sheet uh, for your business. Um, almost always that's something that's fairly easily uh, 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 presentable. Um, and sometimes that's unaudited internal statements. Uh, other times you can have a reviewer and an actual audit depending on the size and scope of your business. But um, that for uh, the, the last two or three years as well as uh, year to date is really critical. Um, oftentimes they're also because they're going to uh, be interested in you providing a personal guarantee, they're going to want to see the tax returns for the last couple of years of the business as well as uh, individually. Um, another thing that's really important is to have a, uh, a, a business plan or a view on where you're going. Uh, so it could be a, a budget for the current year. It could be a multi-year projection uh, around 
the big revenue and expense buckets of your business. Um, and, and that is something that really kind of shows them not only do we know where we've been, but where we're going. And uh, that's critical. Uh, another thing that people are very interested in typically is um, who your key customers are or your key client base. And um, is that growing? What kind of sales opportunities do you have in both backlog, i.e. committed business for this current year, or pipeline, uh, what's coming in the future? Um, and then uh, some of the core elements of your working, working capital cycle, um, your uh, maybe accounts receivable uh, and uh, accounts payable aging uh, is something that is often required. So, um, you know, with those, uh, and to the extent that it's uh, necessary, uh, a personal financial statement um, is oftentimes asked for as well. So with those six or seven things, you're going to be uh, ready to go or to bulletproof, you know, depending on uh, uh, where things stand from a from an organization standpoint. Sure. What What about other forms of debt financing? If you could help us understand kind of what those are, yep. but also, you know, what are the costs associated with some of these uh, sources of debt financing? Because in a minute, we're going to move into that next tier, which is that equity component. And I want to be able to compare and contrast those a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. So, so, you know, typically traditional bank debt is in that, you know, in the current rate environment, um, you know, 5% plus or minus uh, kind of uh, range. And it's sometimes it's LIBOR-based or uh, prime plus something, uh, a margin yeah. with a floor and that type of thing. So, um, you know, that's typically the cost of that type of financing. Other things that we're thinking about are um, asset-based lending, uh, which is oftentimes very helpful for uh, asset-heavy businesses. So if you think about um, heavy machinery or, um, you know, companies that have great receivables from a broad group of customers or who have uh, inventory needs, either in raw material or work in process or finished goods, uh, oftentimes you can find a non-bank asset lender who's willing to facilitate your growth through uh, taking a more intensive view of those assets, but they probably have uh, uh, more flexibility to lend to a company that's not profitable, for instance, uh, because they have the security of the assets. Um, you know, another area uh, that sometimes you see in asset light companies, so uh, companies that have really good cash flow but don't have the assets to support, uh, you know, heavy-duty lending, um, you see some, you'll hear some terms of second lien funds or subordinated debt funds or SBIC providers, and these are all great uh folks who are focused on serving mid-market companies, but who are really interested in um, business services companies and healthcare companies, uh, uh, oftentimes, or technology companies where there's a growing amount of cash flow, but there's, but the assets, the people kind of walk out the door every night. And then, uh, you know, also on the earlier stage side, there's some, some uh, interesting kind of what, what are called revenue-based financing companies that, um, uh, don't care at all about your profitability. They care about your revenue growth. And this is really great for early stage companies, uh, particularly tech and other subscription-based companies. So um, what's really great about the capital markets, what's really great about the United States is we have a very deep 
capital markets and investor base that uh, is very creative. And so um, uh, banks are regulated and have very strict rules and regulations. Some of these other areas, whether it's asset-based lending or junior capital funds or uh, revenue-based financing funds, don't have as many rules and can be a little bit more creative and, you know, paint between the lines a little bit. So with that, though, comes additional cost. That's that's kind of the next question. As we think about the, the cost structure of going from bank debt to some sort of asset-based lending to uh, second liens, all the way down to what we just mentioned a second ago, the, the revenue-based financing, what does that mean in terms of cost and terms? Yeah. Um, so oftentimes, all those companies are willing and interested in partnering with you for the mid to long term. Uh, but to your point, you know, it can be uh, 200 basis points or 2% higher than your bank financing on up to 20% uh, a year, which is which some people would say, that's ridiculous. But if it um, if that allows you to grow at 50%, both from a uh, revenue and a profit standpoint, and um, uh, if, if, if that allows you to g- grow that much and you don't have to raise equity, that's pretty cheap capital. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, it, it really is kind of a balance, and that's where you get into this element of trying to find the right, th- the right mechanism for the right stage of growth and, and to meet your growth aspirations. Well, and that's probably a good transition into that last stage, which is what are we thinking about as we transition from a debt mindset to that equity mindset. And, uh, you know, for me, when I'm talking with clients, it really comes down to cost, which we just talked about, right. but control is the other one. Yep. And that's usually the challenge we run into as we start transitioning away from a debt mentality around growth capital into equity. It's what am I going to have to give up in addition to the the interest payments or this other stuff that I have to give up relative to debt. So why don't we transition and talk a little bit about equity and what have you seen that has been successful and, and talk through some of those dynamics? Sure. You know, um, the two kind of big, there's kind of a quadrant here, a couple quadrants I'd talk about. One is, are you in the... Um, the, the friends and family kind of side of the equity, which is perhaps uh, a little bit more forgiving and a little bit more generous from a rate standpoint or what they expect, or do you kind of shift over into the professional or institutional side of things, which, you know, you'll often hear talk about uh, family offices or private equity groups or venture capital groups. And those are areas that are, are very focused on getting a, 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 a real return, and that's really important to them. Um, the other kind of dynamic that you're going to be interested in is, are you willing to give up minority control in your business so that you still have, you know, if you give less than 50% of the business up, um, you still have control over the operations. Um, you know, you probably likely control the board. You control the, the uh, direction of the business, et cetera. If you sell a majority portion of your uh, company, uh, obviously you lose some control. You you might still be the CEO or the leader of the business, but you don't have as much latitude to operate it how you want to or to um, have your board makeup be the same as it, perhaps it was. So um, all of those are factors that you have to kind of uh, focus on. Um, if, if you have a steady-as-it-goes business or a business that you can... 
uh, finance in some creative way and not give up equity, obviously that oftentimes is the most attractive way to grow. Um, but sometimes you, we both run into people where they say, the opportunity is so huge, I just need more capital. And that's typically the point where you find people who have um, the vision the, um, and a, a huge market opportunity that they're trying to capture very quickly. And that's usually where, you know, you've got to find some equity folks involved. And, um, you know, this is what's great about equity is um, oftentimes there aren't any personal guarantees involved. There aren't any restrictive covenants. There's, there's less control. Uh, there's less kind of a structure to it. But you know, you're actually, you're, you're, you're giving up your, a share of your business. Right. I, you know, the issue oftentimes becomes I'm transitioning risk, right? I'm, right. you know, if I'm, if I'm financing something through debt, I'm assuming all of that risk. That's right. But if I start, you know, creating these equity partnerships, um, in, in a sense, I'm transferring some of the risk of this business over to someone else. Now that comes with a price and right. that price is the reward that comes from being an equity holder. And that's where this can often be the most expensive uh, type of, of capital that I can find. But to your point, if, if I've got this great idea or if the company is doing really well and I've got this phenomenal growth opportunity, hey, this might be a great source. I mean, uh, you know, we've been around long enough where we've seen every one of these mechanisms work phenomenally well. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there is a scenario where one plus one equals eight. Right. We've seen that play out. <laughs> um, so, John, as we think about, you know, the difference between uh, specifically debt and equity financing, you know, what are some of the structural and really some of the term differences that we run into as we're, you know, looking at these two options as business owners? So from a structure perspective, whether it's a bank or, uh, you know, an a asset-based lender or some other type of lender, typically they're going to want to have a security position, either a first or a second lien, in the assets of the company. So, um, you know, if the company uh, uh, doesn't do as well, uh, they can effectively take over the company and um, protect their investment. Um, the other thing that oftentimes you'll see is uh, debt providers require a personal guarantee of the owner or ownership group. And um, uh, when you have a private equity owner, that typically goes away. But uh, if there are individual owners, usually that's a requirement. Until you get to a certain point in your growth cycle, call it 50 or $100 million of revenue, when sometimes you can push to have that personal guarantee taken away. Um, so, And then from a... Uh, a governance perspective, you're going to have uh, typically a, a balance sheet and an income statement covenant that you're required to keep. Um, so uh, your your leverage is defined by total debt to EBITDA or total debt to net worth. Can't go above X. Or um, you have to cover all of your fixed charges, uh, you know, by one and a half times or one and a quarter times. So uh, those are things that you're going to have to report on on a monthly or a quarterly basis in order to stay in compliance with your your debt agreement. There's a, a kind of a pull on the business from a security standpoint, from a personal uh, financial statement standpoint and guarantee, as well as kind of an operations of the business. With... An ownership with an equity side of things, there really uh, aren't as many, uh, you know, kind of rules and regulations, so to speak. Um, 
but the uh, investors are going to be very interested in it, what their share of the business is and are there any kind of preferred returns that they're receiving for their equity injection, um, particularly if it's an institutional provider. If they put money in, they may receive a preferred return uh, prior to anybody else receiving any return of capital. So, and that could be anywhere from eight to 12%, you know, depending on, on how things are structured. Um, but there isn't any personal guarantee of the, of the owner oftentimes required. Um, sometimes there really isn't a, a lean on the business, so to speak, but it's a different type of ownership is a different type of um, presence. Oftentimes they're in your board, on your board, they're more involved in the business. Uh, they're uh, at the table, so to speak, in strategic decisions. And so, um, you know, oftentimes some of the best equity uh, investors are folks who have industry experience uh, uh, that they, they can really speak to, or um, they've made investments like this before so that they can kind of help you scale uh, uh, from a growth standpoint. So a uh, couple of things to think about, you know, as, as, as differences between yeah, Hopefully they've got a Rolodex that can help you kind of with that, that growth strategy and what you're trying to accomplish with that equity partnership in Anyways, but talk a little bit about the time horizon um, because, you know, anytime I have invited, you know, some sort of equity financing into my business, especially if it's the more professional, you know, not the friends and family uh, uh, kind, but it's that professional you know, family office or private equity or some sort of venture capital, you know, there are expectations around, you know, future transactions in my company. Um, that's going to be very, very important to me as a business owner to understand on the front end. So talk, talk a little bit about that and what that means. It's, it, it's a great point. It's uh, on the uh, institutional side, it's very important to know what your investors' expectations are. Many of them are, have raised funds or pools of capital that they're now investing. And oftentimes their investors want to get their money back with a great return in a four to seven year time frame. So when they're investing in your business, they often want to have that equity interest monetized in a four to seven time, year time frame. Um, so that might force a sale of your business, uh, maybe prematurely from your perspective. So something to think about. Uh, I'll tell you the other thing that um, is a big deal uh, because I've experienced it personally is uh, when you have friends and family invest in your business, um, you know, you can't really go to the cocktail party at, with your friends or your family or Thanksgiving and have the same kind of dialogue because everybody wants to know how your company's doing, you know, before you get a, a turkey leg or a, a, a cocktail, you know, you need to answer some questions to your investors. And so that has a different level of, um, uh, while sometimes uh, friends and family money can be uh, less restrictive and less expensive from uh, how much you have to give up, it can have its own uh, issues as well. So uh, <laughs> that's right. As we're you know, thinking through this, 
when it comes to equity, that's also where it gets pretty complicated. Um, that's where you know we, we've got to make sure that we've got the right advisory team around us, uh, attorneys, CPAs, because oftentimes that's going to mean that we're even potentially changing a business structure just based on you know who owns that business. Right. What worked well for us on the front end when we were starting this may not be the same structure we need to move forward, especially as we start bringing in uh, venture capital or private equity. You know, those transactions are going to look very different than what we would if we're a, a new business. And so that's something that oftentimes, uh, you know, gets thought about on the back end of that. And, and unfortunately, it creates some struggles as we start trying to raise that capital. So, you know, as we start, you know, the first thing I tell people is as we start thinking about growing, let's have those conversations early and often. That way, you know, we, we don't run into those issues later. Yeah, the the only thing I'd add to that, that very well put, is um, you need uh, advisors around you in some of those key areas to um, help you negotiate and to create competition. And uh, you know there are uh, there are so many sources of capital out there in in each of these different areas that we talked about. And um, I kind of like to say. Uh, some companies, some some investors like uh, vanilla or chocolate ice cream, and some like pistachio. And so, you know, it's important to kind of uh, understand what's out there in order to figure out uh, what's the best solution for me at this point in my growth cycle, and uh, for where where I, where I think I'm going. And um, you know, to your point, you, you can't ask enough questions on the front end uh, or uh, you know, get your advisors around the table. I think that can be a very valuable uh, kind of pre-flight uh, scenario in order to uh, before you before you get going on on the final solution. Sure. And the other thing I've seen is that this can often be very specific to an industry. And one of the uh, challenges that we run into is making sure, again, going back to those uh, advisors that we have around us, making sure they have expertise in our industry, um, because the options that are available to me in one industry may not be in another. And so understanding the dynamics there, oftentimes we can have advisors that are really good at one thing and may not understand, you know, my specific business and my specific options that come as a result of me operating in this world. Um, so that's something, again, we just want to make sure that we're, to your point, asking the right questions. You can never ask too many questions as a business owner. Um, anything you want to add? The other thing that's interesting is, as the uh, economy, our national economy changes, so changes the availability and the appetite for risk that any and all of these capital providers have. And so um, that's another thing to keep in mind, and it kind of comes to your industry uh, uh, issue. Sometimes uh, specific industries are hot or specific financing vehicles are hot. And um, you know, you can get really great deals or sometimes capital dries up. And so that's another area that, uh, you know, your advisory team can kind of help you with. So uh, it's been uh, really fun, uh, Nathan, kind of talking with you today. This has been great. And um, just uh, just as it relates to, uh, you know, questions that, that I think uh, uh, the listeners might have, you know, the I think the academy kind of concept is really, really important. And uh, this is something that, you know, hopefully can broaden everybody's uh, 
advisory base. So, you know, I know as, as a participant that, you know, we are all very interested in um, hearing from the listeners, hearing if, if we can answer questions or be of assistance in any way. Certainly, certainly. So, first of all, John, thank you for spending time with me today. Um, and thank all of you for, for hanging in there and, and walking through some of these uh, different sources of capitals. Um, you know, to me, the message is that, look, there's a lot of different sources of capital. There's a lot of different tools that we as business owners have in our toolbox. Um, being aware of those and having the right people around us is really the key to make sure that our business is able to grow in the right way uh, for the long term. So, again, thank you all and have a wonderful day.